welcome to Puck Junk Podcast number eight. This is Sal Barry along with Tim Parrish and Today we're going to talk about the National Sports Collectors Convention, or the National as it's called for short. Woohoo! My favorite time of year. Why do you say that? Uh, because it only happens once every two years in my neck of the woods. Actually, in Chicago we've been pretty fortunate because for the last couple of years the National Sports Collectors Convention has been going through this pattern where one year it's in Chicago, the next year it's in Podunk. It might be Cincinnati, might be Baltimore. There's been a lot of smaller towns. Well, Chicago's like the fourth largest city, so I guess anything that's smaller than that is a smaller town but it's been in Chicago it was here in 2011 it was here in 2013 it's here in 2015 it'll be back in Chicago in 2017 so they've really made this pattern of having the national in Chicago and it's been great for me because I really have a hard time justifying spending a lot of money to go to Baltimore so I can spend a lot of money at a hotel so that I could spend a lot of money buying memorabilia when I could just stay in the town that I live in and go to this national convention, which is just in the suburb of Rosemont, which is actually very accessible by uh, mass transit and pretty drivable, too, if you live in the city or nearby. Well, with me coming from across the border in Indiana, it's it's really not that far. It takes me just about an hour to get out there because it's out by the airport, so it makes it very convenient. The one big reason why they every other year bring it back here, and I think they've they've talked about this before, the officials that put on the show, is it's more of a what they consider to be a centrally located city to where people from the West Coast can access it as easily as people from the East Coast. So especially when you have dealers coming in from all over, including Canada, it's not as much of a trek as it would be if let's say you put it down in the Orlando Florida where it's the farthest away or in LA or or somewhere where it's the complete opposite of where everybody else is so it makes it a little more convenient it'll be interesting to see next year uh, what the turnout is for the Atlantic City show that'll be kind of the the litmus test I think of putting something on one coast versus another well I know that like some of the dealers that I spoke with not from Chicago from elsewhere they like the national when it's in Chicago because they say there is stuff to do there's restaurants to go to sure there's even people will sometimes like say hey you know what there's a white Sox game at 7:30 we can make it People are more likely to go out and do stuff if they have the energy uh, to do so. But I know that like dealers that I know from Chicago who've gone to the National in other cities, they just say, you know what, the hotel, the convention center was far from everything and we just didn't really feel like going out. So it was eating at the same four restaurants over those five days and there wasn't really yeah. anything fun to do. But really, I mean, you're there. If you're at the National as a fan, you're there to buy stuff, to get autographs, maybe to see things that you've never seen before. This is really the place where you're going to see that like really vintage memorabilia like that Babe Ruth game-used bat or that Gordie Howe game-worn jersey or those Bobby Hull game-worn skates or gloves or something like that. So that's one cool thing about the Nationals. Even if you're like, you know what, I'm never going to afford this, it's still cool to see some of these things. Right, and that's that's exactly it. It's being able to see all of these things, but see them all in one place. You know, be able to walk around and go from booth to booth and witness a lot of the memorabilia that's on display and a lot of the auctions 
are there and they have a lot of the items that they're going to be auctioning off and it's it's amazing because they pull all of these collections of of guys that have, have been putting stuff together for years and years and years and these are some of the most unique collections of sports memorabilia in the world you go to one place and you get to see them it's nice it's it's awesome as a collector it's awesome another thing that's really nice about the national is that it is the biggest card show I'm guessing in the world. I've never been to one of those uh, shows up in Canada, the Toronto Expo. Yeah, I think the Toronto Expo is pretty big. I think it's like around 400 tables, and I think this one's around 600 tables. I guess it doesn't really matter, because see, to me, the Toronto show would be more desirable just by virtue of that that's going to be 80 to 90% hockey, whereas here it's going to be 10 to, I don't even want to say 20% hockey. I'm going to say 10% hockey, maybe. I'd probably stick with 10 yeah, and, and here's the thing. Like, today we're going to talk about the National. We're probably going to focus in a little bit about hockey because, you know, we are a hockey and hockey card podcast. But we feel that a lot of the things that we talk about might appeal to people who collect other sports. But we're definitely going to key in on the hockey because that's our demographic. So, anyway, I'll be at the National and I'll be walking around and there will be a table of just autographed baseballs. And I'll just say, well, that's not what I collect. And I'll move on to the next table and it'll be all graded baseball cards from the 50s and I'm like nope that's not what I collect either and so finding hockey cards and finding hockey memorabilia is challenging when you go to the national but when you do find stuff it is worthwhile like I'm going to set up Tim here when he found that box of 2005-2006 upper deck series 2 hockey oh yes the infamous series 2 hockey box um, yeah, that was definitely... No idea how you yeah. found that, because I had gone to the National every, know. you know, for five days. I probably was at that booth twice, didn't even see that. Box of cards. That was the thing. The guy, most of what he had was nothing hockey-related. And the few hockey cards that he had were just... It was stuff that nobody would even really pay attention to. And then it just so happens that pile of stuff that box was sitting and I was like hey how much you want for that box and it was like I don't even remember what I spent on that I I think it was 50 bucks if that and I'm like okay bye (laughs) give me the box I'm going so that was the end of that and Um, what did you find in that box you know uh, what was in that box let's see that box had the Ovechkin Young Gun it had the Victory uh, update Crosby and Ovechkin both, uh, as well as a whole host of other ones. And an Ovechkin rookie swatches card. Oh, yes. How could I forget about that one? Yes. Yeah, how could you forget about that? The rookie swatch. Yeah, the rookie swatch jersey card. Clearly, I'm still jealous of this. Why does everybody remember? Everybody else remembers what I pull. Nobody. I don't remember. Because for you, that was Friday. (laughs) For the rest of us, it was like, oh my God, an Ovechkin young gun. But this is a good point, though, because, I mean, this dealer in particular, he'd have, like, boxes of, like, Desert Storm trading cards and, like, 1989 Donruss baseball and just, like, absolute junk that you'd look and say, have it or don't want it, don't care. So the fact that he had a box of upper deck hockey cards from Ovechkin's rookie year was a find, and the fact that it had an Ovechkin rookie... You meant Crosby's rookie year. If I remember correctly... Ovechkin was the Rookie of the Year that year. I know. I know. Yeah, he was. Just saying. It should have been Malkin, but unfortunately he couldn't get his work visa to come here. Oh, is that why Malkin started a year later? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Did not know that. Because him and Ovechkin were drafted at the same time. Yeah, you know, I just figured it was some sort of club release thing. Like, oh, well, he's under contract to this team for another year or something. I just figured it was that. No, he couldn't get his papers. You know, another thing I want to say, though, getting back to the National though, is what makes it great sometimes for hockey collectors is you'll have people who have 80 or 90% baseball and maybe the other sports, and then they'll have a little bit of hockey. I don't say they don't care, but... They don't hold out for top dollar on that. This wasn't at a national, but this was at uh, a card show in Chicago maybe five years ago or whatever. And the guy had, like, a Bobby Orr card that was worth, like, $75. And he was just like, ah, just give me 25 for it. And then he looked at it, he goes, eh, that corner's a little soft. Let's just make it 20 And I was just like, hey, awesome, right? You know, if you went to, like, a super dealer that, like, specialized in hockey, they might want a lot for it. To the dealers who don't specialize in hockey, when they have hockey cards... I find them to be a lot more flexible in the prices because they don't care about it as much. Like, their heart isn't as much into it. They might just be like, oh, yeah, that stack of cards, eh, whatever. Give me this much for it. Or they're, they're not as attached to it. Maybe they don't have as much invested in it. Or it, it could be a bunch of other reasons. You know, I think of, like, there's one dealer from Canada, and I'm not going to name his name, but Tim refers to him as Plastic Man because he has all these old hockey cards. But then he puts this thick, clear plastic tablecloth that he puts over his tables. So you can't really pick up the cards and look at them. You have to ask to see anything, to touch anything, to hold anything, to flip that card over. And I can understand why, you know, so somebody doesn't pick it up and walk away with it. But at the same time, that just makes it so hard to want to buy things because really the joy of going to a card show versus buying something on eBay is you can pick it up, you can flip it over, you can look at it, you can hold it in your hand, you can touch it, you can think about it. You know, you're not just clicking on your mouse and looking at something on the screen. But here, that kind of happens with this guy, and he's not very flexible with the prices. Sorry, I know you wanted to say something. Plastic Man is the bane of my hobby existence because every time I see his table, not only does it make me angry, it makes me want to just leave. And not just leave his table, but to just leave in general. And I think those of us that generally get together when we have these shows out in Chicago, we all have the same more or less general opinion of that type of dealer. But you're going to find that. And, you know, it's one of those things. If you're looking for a particular card, especially if you're looking for vintage hockey. He's a good guy to look at. You're going to probably pay a little bit more. Um, his premium pricing is a little bit higher than you would probably see with maybe somebody that was a little more local. But again, he's coming down from Canada, so he's got a lot more travel expenses than maybe somebody that was local in Illinois or Michigan or Wisconsin or somewhere a lot closer, less mileage to cover. But it still doesn't excuse the plastic on the table. I hate that. Now, why does that make you want to leave the show? That's pretty strong. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate that. Why? Why do that? Why do that? Do you not trust anybody on the face of the planet? You think everybody's going to steal your stuff? Is that why you do it? Are you a germaphobe? Do you not want people touching your cards because you're a germaphobe? What is it? It's funny that he that it's hockey cards because those are probably of the four sports in the U.S. probably the least desirable or close to it. I guess depending what city you're in, it's hockey cards, dude. It's like right. no one's gonna steal those cards because most of the people don't know who the hell they are. That that's a perfect point. That's a perfect point you're making. There is no one wants your stuff, dude. No one, no one does except for the hockey collectors. We've been walking around for two hours. Our feet hurt. 
We're tired of sitting down next to the the sweaty comic book guy that's looking through your dime boxes. We're tired of being around the people with BO and bad teeth and everything else. We want to find what we want, and that's hockey cards. And here they are, and you put them in jail to where we can't get to them. That bothers me. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> Touche. I'll tell you this. You will find hockey. I know, like, uh, earlier I mentioned, like, a uh, a table that had signed baseballs. Actually, the reason why that table stands out is because for four out of the five days at the National, when I went to the National back in 2013, and I really recommend going as many days as you can, and I'll explain why in a minute, but I walked by that table probably 50 times that weekend and didn't even stop and look at it. On my way out, I slowed down, and I saw something. They had a 1991-92 Blackhawks jersey. The 75th anniversary jersey, the quote-unquote barber pole jersey. Remember that that they wore during that season? They had a replica of that jersey in extra large, and the guy sold it to me for $50, which is what I would have paid for it back in 91 because that was the going rate of a replica hockey jersey. I mean, it was an old CCM. It was a polyester type. And he just said to me, he said, oh, yeah, this belonged to my brother or my cousin or whatever. And they just said, oh, here, take this with you. See if you could sell it. I mean, he was so not into hockey. But he's like, oh, here, you're going to Chicago. You're going to the National. Take this Blackhawks jersey. So, you know, he was happy to sell it on behalf of his friend or relative or whatever. I was happy to buy it because, honestly, I tried ordering one of those jerseys from ProSet back in 92 Um, And they sent back my check because they had, at that point, gone bankrupt and they weren't doing the mail order business anymore. So it had always been one of those things that I wanted. So the fact that I found one, you know, 22 years later for what I would have paid for it 22 years ago from a guy that had nothing but autographed baseballs and one hockey jersey. So there you go. And I think we all have stories like that, searching for stuff. I mean, you know, at the one show, I found that table with the guy with... Everything in this box is a dollar. And I flipped through it, and he had Day with the Cup cards in there. And he sold them for a buck because he had no idea what they are, and nor did he care. You know, the time I, I went to a table and I picked up those 71, 72 tops, Gordie Howe and the, and the, the Ken Dryden and the uh, Bobby Orr cards, plus a, a stack of other ones that were a little beat up, but it was just other commons from the same set. The whole pile for 50 bucks. You know, you'll find those kind of things because exactly what you say. Hockey's not these dealers' cup of tea. They're more into baseball. They're more into football. They're more into basketball. They don't have the clientele wherever they come from that's picking up hockey cards. So they feel that when they come to this show, it's going to be the same clientele. That's a risk that you take when you come to these things from a long distance because, look, dealers that have storefronts, they're not emptying their shelves to come out here. They're bringing the stuff that they always take to the shows. They're bringing the things that they distribute in their areas. They're bringing that with them. They're not going through and saying, well, you know, the Blackhawks just won the Stanley Cup, so maybe there's going to be more people there that want Blackhawks stuff, so I better pull all of the Blackhawks stuff. Some do that, but it's a very small handful. 
and sometimes that's kind of nice because you get a variety. Like I know one year I picked up a bunch of 63-64 Parkhurst cards from this dealer from Michigan. And he had a lot of Red Wings. And I just said to him, oh, you have a lot of Red Wings. He's like, oh, well, I'm from Michigan. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool because I needed a lot of those cards. But then like I'll see like a dealer from Pittsburgh and they'll want top dollar for a Sidney Crosby rookie card. And I'll just say, oh, can you go a little lower on that? And he said, oh, no, we're from Pittsburgh. And it's like, okay, but you're not in Pittsburgh. I mean, I can understand that they might have paid a certain amount into it or whatever, but it's like, okay, well, don't buy the Sidney Crosby card from the dealer from Pittsburgh because he's going to be less likely to negotiate with you. But it is nice when you find that dealer who has Blackhawk stuff and they're not necessarily from Chicago and they don't charge a premium. Getting back to what you said about the dollar boxes, though, that is actually a really good point. I mean, I found the 7980 Gordie Howe tops card in a dollar box and i found from the same dealer he had like a it was like a complete insert set that was probably worth like ten dollars and it was a dollar for the whole insert set so you'll find some cool stuff in there actually one of my best finds this dealer had a sign that said anything on this table two dollars he had an uncut sheet of 87 88 calgary flames trading cards made by red rooster which is a, a grocery store. And you know who's in that set? Uh, that would be Brett Hall. Brett Hall. So here it was, an uncut sheet of cards that had Brett Hall's pre-rookie, you could say. And it was just $2. The guy also had, he had Red Rooster Edmonton Oiler sets uncut, $2. Had uh, Wonder Bread Buffalo Sabre sets uncut, $2. So, and then like a couple days later, then he changed it to a dollar. And he had just, just stacks of stuff. I mean, spend hours uh, just pouring through like these just stacks and stacks of things. And like he had like a bunch of like those upper deck sheets that they'd give away at the hockey games in the early 90s. And he had like all these like promotional posters and things that I had just never seen before. So you can really find some cool stuff. And that's why I think it is great if you can afford the time or the money to go multiple days. It's worthwhile. The first time I went to a national, I went one day. I had just enough time to just basically walk up and down, see everything, buy stuff. I didn't have time to go back. I didn't have time to spend an hour at one dealer's table. That's one reason why I think it's great if you can go a couple days. Cool. If you can go five days, you'll probably get a little bored of it by the end of the fifth day. You might even start feeling burnt out around the fourth day. But one thing that I like about that is that when I went to the National for all five days, I had time to socialize with people, to talk to dealers that I knew, uh, to talk to people that I had just met, you know, to hang out with other bloggers like Tim and trade cards. I wasn't in a rush anymore. It wasn't like, well, I have to see everything before I go. It was just like, yeah, I could talk for some time because... Yeah, I'm, I'm here all week. And I'm glad you brought up that point because that's by far my favorite part about these is the people. Anytime you go to a show that's of this magnitude and the community that we all exist in, whether you're a blogger, whether you tweet all the time, whether you have Instagram accounts where you're posting cards that you pull all the time, this community is its one of those groups where you may not know everybody specifically, but you know of people. And you get to see them at the shows like this. A lot of the people that you're going to 
read stuff by or you know you've seen them tweet or they do giveaways or things like that they'll be at these shows a lot of people that have that do card based podcasts and stuff like that like you know we're just getting our feet wet doing this you know there'll they'll be guys like that there a lot of the dealers that you may have dealt with you know from their infancy or now the big thing is with box breakers a lot of those groups they'll all be there so there's no other event that gets this many of people in a community like this together in one place to where you can interact in person rather than social media or, or, or that kind of thing. So that's probably my favorite part of, of going to the show. Now, one thing I'm disappointed in in this year's show is that I don't want to say the lack of hockey players signing autographs. Oh, yeah. You can say that. You can definitely say that because there is a lack and I don't mean lack by Eddie Lack. I mean, there's a lack like there aren't any. Right. Not like Eddie Lack, who used to play for the Chicago Wolves, by the way. One of my peeves with this year is the autograph lineup for hockey players. Because in years past, they'd have like the superstar Blackhawks. Like you might have Jeremy Roenick and Ed Belfour and Chris Chelios. Or you might have like maybe even Mario Lemieux. And those guys generally tend to charge a lot for an autograph. I don't really pay for autographs. I don't pay a lot for autographs. However, they'd always have a couple of the cheaper signers, guys who long retired, who might only charge like $15 or $20 an autograph. Two years ago, it was Murray Bannerman and Eddie Olchek. Four years ago, it was Bill Gadsby and Pierre Pilat. What I like about these I'll call them the cheaper signers, is that they call them the VIP signers. And when you get a five-day pass at the National, you get 12 tickets for VIP signers. They're randomized. So what I would do when I would get a five-day pass for the National is I would take the autograph tickets for the VIP signers, the cheap signers, and I would trade them with other fans. I'd see a guy in a Cubs jersey. I'd say, hey, I got this ticket for Lee Smith. Would you trade it for... Murray Bannerman. And usually they said yes. So then I'd end up getting a lot of autographs from those VIP signers. Autographs are one of those things at these shows where you really have to be pinpoint accurate as to who you're chasing. Because the autograph tickets for these shows are enormous. So there's going to be a hundred guys or more signing beginning on Wednesday and ending on Sunday. If you look at the autograph ticket for this year's show, and for the most part, any of the shows over the last few years, if you're a baseball fan, you're in heaven because anybody you you would ever want to have signed that's that's still living pretty much makes an appearance at this show. If you're a football fan, there's a lot of a lot of guy, a lot of modern players, and a, a few guys from the '70s that that pop up. Basketball, eh, maybe not so much basketball, but hockey. In years past, they've had you know, a dozen guys, maybe 15 guys, 12 guys, 10 guys. I can understand that. But this year's show, the hockey guys are non-existent. You have Bobby Hall, Chelios, Belfour, and Tony Esposito. That's it for regular hockey players. And those are all great hockey players, but oh, yeah. a lot of these... Don't get me wrong. A lot of these guys come to the, the show. So we see, we've we seen Belfour and Esposito right. and Hall and Chelios. Right, Ronick exactly. was supposed to, and he canceled. Yeah, Ronick canceled for whatever reason. And But these guys, you're right. We live out in this general area. A lot of the shows out here have these guys come through fairly often, especially Tonio and Bobby Hall. They're everywhere all the time. 
you know, the only thing that really redeems the hockey ticket here is the fact that they're going to have what's left of the 1980 Olympic team. So all the guys that are available from that 1980 Miracle on Ice team are going to be there signing autographs throughout the weekend. So, you know, if you're looking for a big ticket item, you know, a lot of people's dream is to have that photo of after they won it and all the guys are mobbing each other on the ice, having everybody sign it. I mean, I've seen those things in you know, different places like those Field of Dream stores that are in malls and stuff like that. I've seen pieces like that signed. They're phenomenal looking. But in order for you to actually get those, you're going to be standing in autograph lines until your feet fall off. It's too much. You're not going to be able to see anything else. And that's why I say you have to be pinpoint accurate as to what you're going to be looking for. Because if you've got five guys that you want to go after their autographs for, number one, you need to look and make sure that they're all there on the same day. Or if you bought a single-day admission ticket, all those guys may not be there on that day. You may have one guy there Friday, three of them there on Saturday, and two of them there on Sunday. Well, now you have to be there three days. You know, that's why I tend to shy away from those lines, obviously, unless you hand me a couple of your 12 free tickets that I just need to stand in line for five minutes to get. Those I'm all right with getting. But, you know, these gigantic long lines for people like Emmett Smith, who I remember back when he first started coming to these shows, it was about 125 bucks to get his autograph. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost double that. And the only difference is he's still retired, and he won Dancing with the Stars. So apparently that makes his autograph worth twice of what it was before. So you know, you're going to have huge lines going out the door for all of these big-name players. People are going to pay these huge premiums, but again, you're not going to be able to stand in all of these lines and make it through the show if you expect to see anything other than the backs of other people standing in front of you. Yeah, it is a lot of time spent waiting. When I waited for Eddie Olchek, it was over an hour. When I waited for Bannerman, it was like an hour. And that's the thing. You're going to kill an hour getting those autographs. Like Tim said, if you're trying to get a bunch of players... You're going to spend a lot of time, and that's just going to cut into your time to do other things. You know, the other thing about the Miracle on Ice team, yes, it is the 35th anniversary. That's nice. They were here a couple years ago at one of the shows in Rosemont, one of the Sun-Times card shows that's also in Rosemont. So I feel like I just saw all these guys, even though I didn't. It's just like, okay, the same couple of, like, Hall of Fame Blackhawks and then, like, the Miracle on Ice team. So there's really no variety. Like, there's no middle ground. It's, it's, or there's no, like, lower ticket. Like, the cheapest hockey player signing, most of the Miracle on Ice guys, $29 an autograph. Which, if you think about it, why would somebody pay $29 for Steve Kristoff's autograph? Because he was on the Miracle of Ice team. That's exactly it. I mean, that's, that's the only reason why you're going to go and get that, because you're looking to either pick and choose individual guys off that team, or you're looking for that bigger piece where you're getting everybody to sign something. Or I always thought it'd be really cool to, to take a whole bag full of pucks and just have each guy sign a puck and then have them all framed and mounted and everything. But then I thought, I don't have the space to to have something take up the size of a trailer truck. Well, here's the other thing, too, is that they do sell a super ticket for the Miracle on Ice guys. And in that way, instead of it being $29 for most of them and then, like, 59 for Jim Craig and 59 for Mike Ruzioni. Uh, I don't know if it's 59 or 69. It's somewhere around there. And a couple other guys are like 39 for some reason. You're paying closer to 20 for the so-called super ticket. But here's the problem. You are getting all their autographs, but it has to be on one item. Yeah, so... 
It can't be on individual items. So if you wanted to take and get all those pucks signed and framed them, yeah, that would look great. But no, you'd have to get the jersey or you'd have to get the big photo. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm disappointed about that. Like, I didn't really want any Team USA guys other than maybe Jack O'Callaghan, but eh, not for $29. And then, you know, Belfour, no, I'm not going to pay that for his autograph. And, you know, a lot of the older guys, like, I'll tell you, a couple years ago, Pierre Palat was signing for, like, $20. And I paid it, even though I didn't need anything signed by him. For two reasons. One is because he always responded to through-the-mail autograph requests, always signed my stuff. The other thing was nobody was waiting in line for his autograph, and I ended up talking with him for like 10 minutes. That was awesome. I'm kind of sorry about that. I think this is probably my biggest frustration is when the National comes around, I get that five-day pass, I get the 12 autograph tickets, I trade them around with other people, and I end up with a fistful for, like, the cheaper hockey signers. And there aren't any of those this year. You know, another perk of being a VIP is that you get these special VIP sets from the companies. little disappointed this year. In past years, I remember in the game two years ago, they gave out a set of Blackhawks. That was cool. That was really cool. It was like all-time great Blackhawks. I like that set. I have a copy of that. Yeah, and so this year, Upper Deck is giving out a five-card set. Panini is, I think they're giving out, I want to say, a nine-card set or a six-card set, you know, covering baseball and basketball, and I think football is the other thing that they make. Panini's a multi-sport set. Most of it's NFL players, and the rest of it's college, I believe. I'm a little disappointed that Upper Deck, their five-card set, it's got Gretzky and it's got Taves, which is kind of cool, but then there's like Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan. It's not even Michael Jordan in a Bulls jersey. It's like Michael Jordan in his college jersey. Yeah, because they have the rights to their signatures because they're exclusive signers, but they don't have any of the NBA licensing, so... So it's just annoying, like, okay, this set of cards has Michael Jordan in his college jersey, yay. Well, you can pull an autograph. Yeah, but it would be of Michael Jordan in his college jersey. Hey, you know what? Yay. This is North Carolina. There's a lot of North Carolina fans out there. There are, yeah. Are you telling me if you pull the card, of, if you pull a Jordan autograph in a Carolina jersey, you'd be like, eh, take it back. I don't want it. No, because you know what? <laughs> two, and we'll get into the redemption programs. Yeah, because uh, two years ago, I pulled the card of LeBron James. Right, I remember. And he was in his college jersey, and I was able to sell that card, which was nice because that more than paid for what I had to pay to participate in the redemption program. So for those of you who've never done redemption programs, so now we're talking about two different things. You have VIP sets, which are given to you. They're put in your goodie bag if you're a VIP attendee at the show. Like Tops is giving an exclusive set of cards, and Panini and Upper Deck and Leaf and all the different companies are giving like these exclusive sets of cards. But then the other thing is they do these redemption programs where you buy certain cards, you go to that dealer's booth, you open those cards in their presence, and then they give you, usually it's a pack of like special cards. Now, I know that the past two times, 2011, 2013, I participated in the Panini programs and I was really disappointed in them because it's like, I got like a jersey card of some like okay basketball player. Yeah, I was going to say the last national, the Panini one, I ended up getting a event used towel, a towel. Well, what sport? Were they a swimmer? Let me say that again. A towel. No, it was a football player. 
Um, and I don't even remember who it was. It was a big black swatch. It looked awfully clean to me. I, I never got my nose close enough to actually sniff it, but I can tell you that it was a towel. So something that I guess the guys wear, you know, tucked into their pants if you watch football players. But other than that, I'm not sure what a towel has to do with football. Isn't that kind of gross? Yeah, maybe. Depends on how you look at it. My oldest son ended up getting a 8x10 full-size card of, boy, I can't even think of his name. He plays for the Rams, but it was an autograph one, and it was kind of cool. You know, that was the Panini experience for me. I know for a fact I will not be participating in the Panini Redemption Program because, well, Panini doesn't sell any hockey products. Well, I'll tell you this, Upper Deck, for the last couple of years when I've done their um, redemption programs, you either pull an autograph or you don't. To me, that's cool. That's all killer, no filler. One year I participated in their redemption program every day, and I got an autographed card of Ryan Sandberg. I got an autographed card of Sidney Crosby. I got an autographed card of Mike Singletary. I almost pulled one like every day. I mean, that's awesome. And then like a couple years back, I think I got one of Jonathan Taves. And I got another one of, um, uh, I forgot who it was. I know I got Bobby Orr one year. Oh, and then I also got the LeBron James. So to me, that's cool. Because people were willing to trade or buy or, or whatever. And then when I go, hey, I got this jersey card from Panini, it's like nobody cares. Yeah, there was there was too much of it. That's the thing. And it was very obscure stuff and odd stuff, and everything looked like everything else in past years. So, I mean, I saw the previews of some of the things that they're giving away. Most of it looks cool, but again, I'm not chasing stuff that's not necessarily hockey-related. And to back to your point about the upper deck packs, either you had an autograph or you didn't, every other pack that didn't came to me. <laughs> so that was kind of what happened there. <laughs> Except, and, and proven perfect cases, the last national... In order to get those packs, I think we took up a couple half boxes of the Fleer Retro. And so those are what we took up, and they gave us a pack for each box. Uh, in fact, I think they gave us three packs for each box. And so we busted those open, and I got nothing, and my youngest son got nothing. And my oldest son, again, pulled an autograph of the great Columbus Blue Jacket, Brandon Sod. <laughs> You know, and this is actually one thing that's really exciting about Upper Deck. Okay, so two things. One, you had a pretty good chance of getting an autograph in the redemption packs. And the other thing is is that the cards that you need to buy this year, it's like all hockey sets or their dinosaur set because they don't make anything else. With Panini, it was like, well, you can either buy score or you could buy basketball cards. And I'm like, well, that sucks and that also sucks like because I don't want to buy score and I don't want to buy Panini limited basketball but like with Upper Deck you know now that they really only have the rights to make hockey cards so they want you to buy the hockey cards so I feel that people who don't like hockey cards they're not going to mess around and buy a box of dinosaur cards so that they could participate in the Upper Deck Redemption they'll probably just take their money and participate in like a Topps Redemption if they like baseball or a Panini Redemption if they like football or basketball, right? Sure, and I remember looking at this uh, a few days ago. Got the list right here. It's Fleer Showcase, Opeachy Platinum, Masterpieces, 
SP Authentic, Goodwin Champions, and Upper Deck Dinosaurs. So what excites me is that a lot of these sets that are eligible to get the Redemption Packs, like the Opeachy, Platinum, or Upper Deck Masterpieces, I didn't get around to buying those, so I'm going to definitely get some at the show. Make sure you buy them from a certified diamond dealer, though. Upper Deck created their certified diamond dealer club years ago to try to cut back on third or fourth generation marketing of the product. So the diamond dealers are the ones that are certified to sell. And so if you go to one of the booths, which there's going to be a lot of them there, you won't have a hard time finding the places that are actually certified. You know, if you're looking to find the cheapest price, you may find it, but if they don't have that diamond dealer label, you may have to pay a couple extra cents. All right, so thanks for tuning in, and we will see you again. Well, we won't see you again. That's stupid. (laughs) We'll talk at you again. We will talk at you, and you will listen to us again, hopefully. All right, thanks.